Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Ochri. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, Special Prosecutor Kisie Jabin declares former Western Regional Secretary of the NPP, who was also Secretary to the Interministerial Committee on Galamsey, Charles Bissu, wanted. Tonight, we ask what next for the fight. Also coming up, is former President John Mahama qualified to run for the office of president again? I know what you're thinking, but a citizen of the land is before the Supreme Court asking that it declares him unqualified. We'll be hearing from him here on Eyewitness News. And later, Parliament forms a bipartisan committee to investigate recent police shooting in Botiano, believed to have been targeted at Langards. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Despite Moody's recent upgrade of Ghana's local currency long-term issuer, economist Professor Godfrey Bopin calls for more to be done to ensure economic stability. That's in 50 minutes from Netili Netish. You'll be coming from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations. In Takradi, we are on multiple stations, including... Premier 100.5 FM, Beach 105.5 FM, and Sky Power 93.5 FM. We are in Sunyani on Greener 95.9 FM. We are in Gosu on Hames Radio 106.5. We are also in the Ashanti region on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumasi. We are in Pando on Akpini Radio 96.7 FM. We are on Heritage FM, 107.3 FM in Hohwe. We are also in Yendi on Dasuma, 99.1 FM. We are in Zwarungu on Word, 90, Word FM, 88.3. We are in Laura on Westlink, 88.1 FM. And we are in Waliwali on Eagle, 94.1 FM. We are also live on YouTube. We are live on Facebook. We are live on citynewsroom.com and we are interactive join us on whatsapp 0549-986-996 0549-986-996 you can send tweets using the hashtag city newsroom tweet at umaru sanda or at city973 and the world will hear what you think this is eyewitness news Broadcasting from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Akosia Autry. Our first story is coming from the Office of Special Prosecutor. Now, the Office of Special Prosecutor has declared Charles Bissou, the former secretary to the Interministerial Committee on Illegal Mining, wanted. This declaration follows Mr. Bissou's failure to respond to an invitation from the Special Prosecutor to appear and answer questions regarding the ongoing investigation into suspected acts of corruption in the operations of the defunct IMCIM. Mr. B.C. recently filed a writ at the High Court in Accra in an attempt to prevent the OSB from prosecuting him. This legal action was in response to the ongoing investigation led by the Special Prosecutor into alleged corruption involving Professor Kwabna Frimpong-Boatin, the chairman of the IMCIM. But now, we are told that the Office of Special Prosecutor can simply not find Charles Bissou to question and possibly prosecute him. It has advertised his name and said that he is a wanted man. But we have dug him out and we found him. He's on the phone line. Charles Bissou, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. I'm, I'm grateful, my brother. Uh, the special prosecutor, uh, Kisie Jabin, is looking for you. He seems <laughs> not to have found you. He's decided mm -hmm. uh, to put an advertorial out there asking mm -hmm. for people to, 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 to bring you, if possible, or contact the office if you are found. <laughs> Where are you hiding? Okay, thank you, and good evening to your listeners. Um, it's rather unfortunate it has to get to this. Um, I'm within the jurisdiction. I'm in the country. Um, I've been in the Western region. 
as we speak, um, I would, I'm making my way to Accra. Um, the crux of the matter is, um, I think the special prosecutor, as he said, we're in court on other matters, but that I do not want to delve into. But then, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, he wrote that he wanted to um, meet me on another matter. And we um, wrote to them, um, the office, and said that I wasn't, um, had an emergency at home, so she could give us an additional week, one week. Um, they declined it and wanted me to um, attend on a certain day, which I couldn't. And then further to that, all we heard was that there was an arrest warrant for me. And then um, basically uh, my lawyer came out and said um, they've actually filed to set it aside only for me to see this. Uh, however, I mean, I think um, we're actually um, nurturing the country. And so um, let me put this um, out there that I'm not above the law. Um, I've always ab- um, abide by the law. Um, either to you remember um, the OSPS office has been there twice already within the last five years. Um, I've been to the BNI, and not as a suspect, but to volunteer information. I've been to the CID office um, several times. Sometimes I go in there, and then I come out, and then I actually even put documentation and write certain things for them um, to help them with their work. I've been with the national security and all that. So um, if a creature of our constitution um, um, requires that I come to see them, I don't think... um, I would run away. Um, it's rather unfortunate to get to this. There was a misunderstanding. And I'm not a fugitive <laughs> for my photos to be advertised out there. Um, so I'll go and just say, I'll go to the uh, special prosecutor's office um, to do that. Um, my one other thing is that I know I am innocent. I haven't actually committed any crime. Uh, but the problem here is that, you see, um, the first matter that went before the OSP, that was in 2019, okay? It's dragged up to, up until now. So one, people would see you as a criminal, where the investigation that I've written petitions to the OSP's office that, yes, I mean, um, and, and uh, Martin Amidu, and then subsequently, uh, KCH have been forced to actually bring everything to a logical con- conclusion. But then, he hasn't got into that, so we're still actually um, dealing with that matter. So once that thing comes up, people think that, yes, he's a criminal, but I can actually, yes, put it out now, authoritatively, that I haven't done anything wrong, um, I do not own any excavator. I never sold any excavator. I wasn't in charge of expenditure at the IMCI because I was only a secretary. Um, I do know about uh, gold nuggets that were seized and that sort of thing. So we will talk. I'm not going to delve into it. We are going to talk about it. But I was thinking that these things should be done with expeditiously. So that when there's an albatross hanging over your neck, people will think that, yeah, okay, he's been there and then he's out. But I think our system actually allow certain things to happen where it tracks and then people think that, yes, he's a criminal. And, and by the time it gets to that point, you have children, you have family, and then you affect um, other people around you. So to answer your first question, I am within the jurisdiction. I'm not above the law, and so as everyone else, um, even the president, I mean, um, abides to the rule of law. I am going to attend the office and then actually render every information that they require from me. Is it the case that they were calling your phone, they could not reach you or sent you email which you did not reply or sent emissaries no. to you that you ignored? No. Why, why do you Nothing. think it got to this level? Do you, have, a, do you have an issue with the office for which reason this publication would come out? Because it has your full name. I can't even pronounce some of them. Charles, Pongo, <laughs> Nana Bain, Onua Wonto, Bissio. And it says... And it says that corruption and corruption-related offenses regarding the activities mm. and expenditure of the dis- dissolved mm. interministerial committee on illegal mining, uh-huh. especially in respect of the seizure and management uh-huh. of excavators, machinery, road vehicles, uh-huh. and gold nuggets, and use of public office for uh-huh. profit. And he puts a nice photograph of you, uh, yeah. and, and essentially <laughs> asking for a photo. W- were you at any point involved in the seizure of vehicles and gold nuggets when you were secretary to the IMCIM? I left the office in 2019, and everything that um, was um, as a secretary was handed over nicely when I stepped aside, and all that. So, and I believe that for, um, um, the, the most of the, uh, the interministerial committee works with ministries, you know, and I believe that those ministries have um, the relevant rules and regulations that they work with. So, to the best of my knowledge, everything that we did there, I mean, uh, conformed to the mandate that we were given. Um, so. Um, I mean, I do, I do, for at this point, I do not know uh, the questions that I am going to be asked. But for me, 
Uh, I know that one, if it's to do the expenditure, I was an expended officer. Um, Two, um, there was um, things like the excavators and all that. Um, All of them were done uh, transparently. There were people who were in charge of that and all that. So um, as a secretary, my job was to take um, directives from the 10 ministers and then actually implement them on a day-to-day basis. And so, I mean, um, I've got nothing to hide. Uh, The only thing is that um, if I had something to hide, then, um, Mary, I've been on your, over the last four years, uh, you've interviewed me on um, projection of the government um, and defending my government, the MPP government. I've been on several radio stations and TV stations doing that. If I had any iota of blemish on me, I wouldn't have actually availed myself to do that because if you do that, then you'd be actually insulting the Ghanaian populace. So I believe that at the end of the day, we all get to know the truth. And then my name um, will be actually, um, the reputation that has been parted will be remedied. And I, I believe that going there is another opportunity, as I've done in the past, the BNI, the CID have gone there and then came up with my reputation intact. By the way, is this related in any way to the earlier investigation by the CID, uh, which um, <coughs> well, became a subject of controversy after the president announced that you had been exonerated? I do not know. I do not know. I do not know. I mean, I think you have to ask the office of the OSP. I think that uh, it was um, they, they wrote another letter to say uh, talk about expenditure and activities of the um, IMCIM. But then um, for me, where I sit, um, isn't the um, the expose by us talking about corruption as well? I mean, so we'll look at all that. I mean, I, I don't know. Do not know the questions that he's going to ask me. But then, um, like I said. I'm within the jurisdiction. I haven't run away. There was a misunderstanding because my lawyers wrote to them to give us time and then they said they were not going to do it and then I have to come at a certain point and then there was the arrest warrant and then that misunderstanding. But nobody has called me either uh, within that time or anybody come to see me mm-hmm. uh, or ask me to come where I have actually what uh, defied um, those um, invitations. Very well. When are you going to show up so we can come and uh, film you arriving? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> My, my face is already out there, so I don't need to. I mean, we don't want those rasmatas. I mean, we're actually working for the country. So I'll go there, but um, I don't think we need the media uh, to do that. It's not for me to actually... Um, I've got nothing to prove. You know what I mean? I'll go there, and then I should actually make sure that the authenticity of whatever I give, I, mean, I want, I seek to actually put out there, um, is made um, I basically to be consistent with whatever um, I've done. And I'm not going to lie to anybody. I have not lied. And I think I did the job diligently. When you're given this job, the sad part is that when you've given a job um, in our politics, uh, every job that you're given, you have a responsibility and that you have to be accountable for it. And I believe that that's what I have to do. But then sometimes it takes too long. For example, the expose. Could we have done everything within one year? When, even though the police exonerated me, right? And then I availed myself to the OSP's office as well. This should tell you that I'm not even scared to go there because I went to the CID office and then to the uh, OSP. I don't think one person within this country has been investigated on the same matter by two agencies. No. But I availed myself to both of them because I knew that I've got nothing to hide. But then, funny enough, the one with the, the OSP is dragging to up, up to about five years. I hope this one wouldn't actually um, travel that course. Thank you so much for speaking to us and wish you all the best. Thank you. That's Charles Bissio. Uh, he was secretary to the Interministerial Committee on Illegal Mining. He was NPP Regional Secretary for the Western Region. And you can now call him as part of the titles that he has. A wanted man by the Office of Special Prosecutor. He says he's not hiding. He's in the jurisdiction. He's from in the Western Region currently and making his way to Accra. And he would attend to the Office of Special Prosecutor. And he's surprised that his photo is having to be advertised as a wanted man by that office. It has to do with the uh, report we saw from um, Professor Kwabna from Pombwati, who was chairman of the IMCI, and all the issues arising from same. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's know what you make of this story. 0549-986-996. That's a WhatsApp number. 0549-986-996. You can send tweets. Use the hashtag CityNewsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973.
Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com button3, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Former President John Dramani Mahama was elected in 2012. He served as president all the way to 2016 when he lost that election. He sought re-election in 2020 as a former president. He was not successful. His party is sponsoring him now to be the flag bearer of the party. Indeed, he's a flag bearer and he'll be representing the party on the ballot in 2024 you'll be going against anybody else who'll be elected as a flag bearer but someone is seeking to prevent that from happening that person wants former president mahama's name not to be on the ballot of the electoral commission for election 2024 his reason is that he's a former president and he ought to just retire essentially that man is kenneth aj crunchy he's managing editor of the daily searchlight and a lawyer. Ken, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, thank you, my brother. You are invoking the uh, powers of the Supreme Court, asking it to deal with Article 68 of the Constitution, correct? Among other things, yes. Good. So I just want to read the 68 in full because I notice you are referring to all the clauses in 68. I just want to read it for our listeners to understand what the Article 68 says. And then I'll ask you why you are you are invoking the, 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 the powers of the Supreme Court. So yes, please. Article 68.1 says, The President shall not, while he continues in office as President, hold any other office or profit, of profit or emolument, whether private or public and whether directly or indirectly, or hold the office of chancellor or head of any university in Ghana. The president shall not, on leaving office as president, hold any office of profit of emolument, except with the permission of parliament, in any establishment, either directly or indirectly, other than that of the state. The president shall receive such salary, allowances, and facilities as may be prescribed by parliament on the recommendations of the committee referred to in Article 71 of this constitution. On leaving office, the president shall receive a gratuity in addition to pension, equivalent to his salary and other allowances and facilities prescribed by parliament in accordance with clause 3 of this article. The salary, allowances, facilities, pensions and gratuity referred to in clauses 3, 4 shall be exempt from tax. Where the president is removed from office under paragraph C of clause 1 of article 69 of this constitution or resigns, he shall be entitled to such pension and other retiring awards and facilities as Parliament may prescribe on the recommendation of the committee referred to in Article 71 of this Constitution. The salary and allowances payable to the President and the pension or gratuity payable to him on leaving office shall be charged on the Consolidated Fund. The salary, allowances, facilities and privileges of the President shall not be varied to his disadvantage while he holds office. The pension payable to the President and the facilities available in him shall not be varied to his disadvantage during his lifetime. So that's the entirety of Article 68. Based on this, you are saying that you do not think former President John Mahama is qualified uh, to be on the ballot. Why? Okay, it is not based on the whole. You know, uh, I'm making, I'm seeking about eight declarations. So some of the declarations are picked out of, rightly as you said, out of Article 68, are based on Article 68. For instance, if you look at Article 68 2, it says that the president shall not, on leaving office as president, hold any office of profit or emolument, except with the permission of parliament, in any establishment, either directly or indirectly, other than that of the state. I'm saying that based on this Article 62, our former presidents become wards of parliament. When by passing words of parliament, they come under the authority of parliament. If they want to occupy any or any profit, any office of profit or emolument, that is a pro an office that is not an office of the state. Then they do require parliamentary permission. I'm saying that again, that based on this clause, former president Rowling, former president Mahama, in his current aspirations, ought need to go to parliament to seek uh, parliamentary uh, approval. If you look at the 68th, I'm saying that. 
the Supreme Court of Ghana should agree with me that if you become a president of Ghana, you do take a salary, you do take a volume, so that under 58.2, if the former president is going to seek for that office, then he does require uh, parliamentary permission. From four to, I think, about nine, I'm saying that if you put the entirety of those provisions together, Mr. Well, the Supreme Court should agree with me that Mr. Mahama is somebody who continues to be and continues to remain in the employ of the state. And therefore, I'm begging the Supreme Court to agree with me because everything is paid a monthly salary, he's been given a pension, he's been given gratuities, everything. Okay, so if you come and add the city to he's somebody who continues to work for the, uh, the state of Ghana, and that's required permission before we can go ahead to say that he's sitting under office of office or emolument. Okay, but how do you marry that against the article of the constitution that says a person is entitled to two terms in office as president? Okay, so this this petition has said for the Supreme Court also encapsulates other provisions of the constitution. And as you rightly said, they encapsulate 66.1 and 66.2 of the 1992 constitution. And that's 66.1. I'm asking the Supreme Court to agree with me that the real term, the real presidential term in Ghana is four years. It's not eight years as a lot of people believe. When you become president, it's four years. The further argument I'm making on the 61, 66, 1, and 66, 2 is that that second term that presented under 66, 2 is contiguous to the first term under 66, 1. So that if somebody becomes president and then leaves office under 66, 1, that person then automatically falls under 682. What Mr. Mahama is doing is what I would describe as disparate. It means that he's been president before, he's gone out of office, he believes that he is deserving of a second term. I'm saying that once you go out of office, you fall under 682. You see, if you are not falling out of office, you are, you are not gone out of office, then the second term applies. But once he's gone out of office, then 5082 is quite explicit. All right. So you're asking the Supreme Court to make a pronouncement. And let, let me say that, uh, so what we are just doing is just to have an understanding. And we are learning from you why you are in the court and uh, what exactly you're asking the court to do for you. Let's get the view of another legal brain. And I, I crave your indulgence to stay on the line and listen to his submission so that we can get your, his perspective as well. Uh, he was a deputy attorney general in the Mahama government. He's member of parliament. He's Dr. Dominic Aine. Doc, you are welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, your colleague lawyer there, even though he would be your junior, um, has, he's gone to the Supreme Court. And I don't know if you heard the submission of what he's asking the Supreme Court to do there, going under 68. He's essentially saying that once you become president and you retire, I mean, after the first term, or, or yes, after the first term, you are in the employ of the state. You cannot do anything without clearance from parliament. And to the extent that the former president is now an employee of the state, he's a ward of parliament. That's how he describes him. He needs permission from parliament. He wants Supreme Court to say that that must be the case. And for that matter, among a number of other things, he should not be qualified to run again as president. What's your view on, on, on reading the law? Well, thank you very much, uh, Umaru. Um, as I intimated to you earlier when we spoke, I am in my constituency, and I did not have the benefit of reading the entire writ um, <clears throat> issued by my learned friend. However, I have taken a look at the writ itself directly, the declaratory relief that he's seeking. And uh, Umaru, I mean, with all due respect to him, I believe that what he is trying to do is inviting the Supreme Court basically to clear the confusion that he himself has planted in his own mind. There is no issue of interpretation here. So, um, and the Supreme Court's jurisdiction, original jurisdiction, is for the enforcement of the Constitution, especially in situations where um, there are, I mean, uh, rival, plausible, reasonable interpretations being given to a provision of you know, the Constitution, as they apply to um, the actions or inactions of office holders or persons that violate the Constitution. And so I have read through the writ, and to be honest with you, um, apart from the fact that it is poorly drafted, 
you know, um, something that I would have, uh, you know, advised him not to, I mean, uh, even even publish or uh, try to file in the Supreme Court. I, there is, is, is a non-issue, all right? First of all, if you read the, the language of the Constitution, it is very, very clear that, all right, a person is entitled to two terms when elected as president of the republic. So basically, I mean, and now he is saying that um, the fact that the constitution itself says that you cannot go more than two terms means that a person who has done one term cannot seek to be, re- I mean, uh, to be elected into office again. If the makers of the drafters of the constitution had wanted to limit such persons from seeking re-election, okay, then they would have said that you are, you are, you are entitled, to, I mean, a, a person is entitled to not more than two consecutive terms. So basically what the plaintiff is seeking to do is to invite the Supreme Court to read the word consecutive into the language of the Constitution. Okay, and I, I think that it is not something that the Supreme Court, I mean, uh, would be uh, very willing to do, even though I cannot, I mean, uh, um, say with exactitude that that is what they are, I mean, that, that is going to be their state of mind when this rate, I mean, is being decided. And so I am at a loss as to what he's actually seeking to do. Secondly, the whole idea that a former president is a ward of parliament. I mean, this, to be honest with you, I've been a lawyer for 28 years now. I have taught law students, you know, I mean, uh, for many years. This is the first time I'm hearing the expression ward of parliament, just because you require parliamentary approval. Um, first of all, I mean, the whole idea that um, you require parliamentary approval for everything that you want to do is not true. All right. It is only if you want to hold an office of profit that you seek parliamentary approval. All right. So, for instance, let's take it, I mean, for the sake of argument that uh, the former president, being a communications expert, uh, decides to set up a communications consultant. Okay. And then, you know, I mean, earn, I mean, money out of it. That is the situation where he will have to appear before Parliament, okay, the Committee on Members Holding Office of Profit. And then the Mr. Speaker, you know, will grant him a certificate that will entitle him, okay, to, um, I mean, uh, to serve as a communications consultant and earn profit from it. The Office of Flag Bearer, where you are seeking election, I don't know by what, I mean, stretch of imagination or interpretation, anybody can say that that is an office of profit. And therefore, the former president needs to go to parliament for parliamentary approval. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, this, is, this rate is there on arrival. If, if, I, if, I were, if I were in a position to offer that opinion, I mean, I'm not the Supreme Court, and I don't want to pretend to be the Supreme Court, but honestly speaking, it's a very shameful, I mean, act that, I mean, uh, that my learned friend is engaging in. It doesn't raise any genuine issues of issue of interpretation. Um, and then also he's confusing so many things, you know, with respect to uh, actions that can be taken by the former president. I mean, the, the fact that the former president can seek to, to, to stand for, I mean, uh, uh, election and be elected, I mean, uh, uh, president of the republic. Okay. I believe that what he's seeking to do is to just clear the cobwebs in his own mind and, and not to seek interpretation from the Supreme Court of the Republic. I see, but he's concerned. For instance, the former president serves one term, which he already has done. For him, even though the Constitution, even though we do know that a person is entitled to two terms uh, of up to eight years, you are actually entitled to just one term of four years. He's, he's concerned about the consecutive nature of the thing. So he believes there's a break in chain, and for him, that break ends it, essentially. Well, if the drafters of the Constitution had intended that that break should end it, they would have said so explicitly. Not having said so, it means that they leave the room open for a person who has been president, you know, and served just one term, you know, to stand for, for I mean, uh, for uh, re-election, to be, to be re-elected into office, all right? The Americans started it, and, I mean, there, was, there were no term limits. It was just a matter of convention until President Washington decided that 
he wanted to do just two terms and to leave. And subsequently, uh, Congress amended the, um, you know, the Constitution of the United States and then, you know, inserted a term limit. So now, in the, in the U.S., okay, you are entitled to those two terms. Uh, but in a situation where, for instance, a vice president serves out two years of the term of a president who has died in office, okay, that vice president cannot, you know, I mean, uh, um, do, a, I mean, eight years, even if he were popular, and then, I mean, uh, could be elected for, I mean, uh, to stand, uh, you know, to be in office for eight years. The U.S. Constitution says that you cannot, I mean, um, in those circumstances, you know, I mean, uh, uh, stand for uh, re-election. All right. The last thing I think I just want to put to you, and I'm hoping that that's what Ken intended to, to, to put across, is that currently the former president is being paid a monument. He's going to get a new job, granted, he, or that's if he wins to be president. He's going to start receiving salary. What happens to the emolument he's currently enjoying as a former president? He becomes a former current president. I'm sure that's what well, is, look, the that is, that's is an, that, Look, you know, I mean, that's an administrative arrangement. So let's say, for instance, okay, I'm currently a member of parliament. Okay. Um, if I lose, I mean, the election, I mean, God forbid, all right, I am not entitled to, I mean, uh, what any, I, I mean, any emoluments whilst I'm out of parliament. But once I, I get re-elected to become, I mean, to come back to parliament, all right, my right, rights and privileges kick in, and I will be entitled to, I mean, a, a, the, um, the emoluments of a member, a member of parliament. In the case of a former president, all right, the current emoluments will cease to, I mean, apply immediately he takes the oath of office and becomes president of the republic. The provisions relating to the emoluments and benefits accruing to a, I mean, uh, to a former president will no longer apply. And therefore, uh, by administrative arrangement, whoever is, en I mean, is enjoined to pay him those I mean, um, uh, emoluments will cease to, to pay him those. So I don't think that it is a problem that needs uh, any interpretation. This is a question of uh, I mean, administrative uh, you know, arrangement under the Presidential Transition Act. And nothing more. Very well. Thank you for speaking to us, Doc. Thank you. That's Dr. Dominica Ine. He's a former Deputy Attorney General and MP for Bulga East. Uh, Ken Crunchy is a man who originated this particular discussion. He's the one who has gone to the Supreme Court. He's still on the line. Ken, you've heard the former Deputy AG there. He says that, in fact, your, your writ is not even properly drafted, and he would advise you, if you would listen, uh, to simply just withdraw it. He thinks it's a confusion in I, your I head. Think, I, I think they would love me to withdraw it. First, first and foremost, it is tried, okay, that the drafters of the 1902 Constitution do not provide for every single word and every single contingent. It is tried. That is why we go for interpretation. For instance, when you say that when Ismaila becomes president again, the current benefit that you'll be, you'll be receiving shall be stopped, and then you go on to the new benefit. Where is it written in the 1992 Constitution? Okay, so the premise the, the, the of the 1992 Constitution are not in the position to provide, were not in the position, and in fact, would never have been in the position to provide for every single contingency. That is why we have the, 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 the Supreme Court there to do the necessary interpretations, the necessary construction, and the necessary enforcement if, if it becomes necessary. Now, he was also lampooning me about, uh, uh, about the fact that uh, my reading of this and is talking about the consecutive contiguous instead of it being disparate. The point I'm making, and I think he failed to address it, if someone becomes an ex-president, is it true or not that the first person falls under the first if you read the wording of Article 52, and then let me read it for you again for the sake of emphasis, it says that the president shall not, on leaving office as president, hold any office of profit or emolument, hold any office of profit or emolument, except with the permission of parliament, in any establishment, either directly or indirectly, other than that of the state. He has been teaching law for 20 years, and he has not, he has not heard the word, word used in reference to. A former president before what does this provision make the former president? He says that 
uh, a flag bearer of a political party is not office of profits. So, if I, are you going to list it to him? No, I'm just... What was his name? Dr. Dominic Aine. Are you going to say that Dr. Dominic Aine said so? So, that is the situation as it is. Or we are going to allow the people's representatives to find out? You hold a view that being a flag bearer is office of profit? I don't hold any view. I'm saying that he's seeking for a position. And mind you, the position of flag bearer is not an end in itself. It's a tool to arrive at a, a certain position. That position definitely raises profit, raises the, raises the, the issue of emolument, raises the issue of salary. So that one is even conclusive. I'm saying that once he takes that step, taking towards that salary, he does require permission from parliament. So if, if, the, if the NDC comes and tells us, or Mr. Mama comes and tells us, look, I'm, I'm flat bearer, I'm not paid anything, how would we find out unless the people's representatives look into it? How can we establish the truth of his proposition? So, so, so why, did, why didn't you write to the House of Parliament asking the House to act on what you thought was an inaction? I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought you had a copy of my affidavit. And in fact, who also speaks in the same language is my my senior just spoke in. Lampoon me when I petitioned Parliament. If you were to read that video, you would realize that I petitioned Parliament on this matter on the 11th of April uh, this year, and Parliament failed to take action. So as you are rightfully saying, there are bodies there, so they are supposed to take constitutional action. We make a complaint before them. Those bodies will do what they have to do. And so then we go to the Supreme Court. So you went to the Supreme Court because you didn't get a response from Parliament. I think that that's... Oh, oh rightfully, rightfully, okay. yes. Right. Rightfully, yes. Finally, you are a journalist. I mean, you, you've been doing this job for decades. But you are also a member of the New Patriotic Party. You've tried at, at least once to be a member of Parliament for... On the ticket of the NPP, you were not successful. What would you say to political critics who would say... You are simply being used by your party to ensure that Muhammad doesn't even appear on the ballot because he may defeat your candidate. So you are trying to get him um, diselected through another means than the ballot paper. Umaru, a very deadly disease in this country. Deadly disease that we need to look at in this country is where people who have been professionally trained to become accountants and lawyers and medical people and what have you, begin to look through their political partisan lenses when a professional decision is supposed to be taken. So that if a matter has to be taken to court, a matter has to be educated on, instead of the person looking at the proper legal position that has to be taken, the person hiding behind politics looks through his political lens and says that this will not be politically convenient and therefore... I'm not going to do this, that, and that. There are people in the New Patriotic Party who are deeply opposed to this matter going to court because they believe that if it goes to court and Mr. Mahama were to, the Supreme Court were to disagree with me as it were, Mr. Mahama will become popular and therefore can stand on that popularity. If I were to take that political decision, then I will not, I will not be looking at things legally. I believe, I believe. That once under 66 one, he has served his first term and has become an ex-president. And interestingly, I've had debate with the best of the lawyers in NDC. They are unable to shake on this point that once the man becomes an ex-president, he falls under Article 62. That is indisputable. He will say that the position of flag bearer does not pay any salary. How would Umaru Sandan know? You, so you want I the pronouncement know. made once and for all to clarify? You see, the thing is that for me, as far as I'm concerned, and the Supreme Court, I'm sure if they disagree with me in time, as far as I'm concerned, Article 68 uh, is quite explicit. It says, a president shall not, on leaving office as president, hold any office of profit or emolument, except with the permission of parliament, in any establishment, Either directly, either directly or indirectly, okay. other than that of the state. And I see that because of this, mm. Mr. Mahama is the word of parliament 
and people people are breaking heads over this. Very well. If it's not the word of parliament, then what is? Have you had the service uh, done to the asin? Have they been served already? I noticed that you also uh, the, in the suit you've added former president John Ejekum Kufour. Are you worried that he may also come and seek flag bearership? Of the NPP and by extension, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm in a situation. If you look at the the orders I'm seeking from the Supreme Court, in this situation, I'm saying that he also falls under the authority of parliament, and that particular provision should be invoked with regard to him. So okay. that we, 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 we are looking at the democracy that possibly may last a thousand years. We shall go, we shall, we shall be, be having dozens of these former presidents. Are we going to allow them to be roaming the land in as is, or we are going to? We are going to activate Article 58 to open Have they been served, though? The Attorney General, the former president? It was, it was, it was the rate of five yesterday. I'm hoping that that is an administrative thing okay, that, will, that will be done in the rate. So Th- you make the necessary services to find out. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you, Maram. That's Kenneth J. Crunchy. Um, he's managing editor of the Daily Sergeant newspaper. He's a lawyer and a former NPP parliamentary candidate hopeful. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are also around the globe on citynewsroom.com. Uh, do send us your reactions to the stories we are bringing you on WhatsApp 0549-986-996. 0549-986. This is Eyewitness News. We'll be back shortly. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. There's a story that we have uh, which has to do, or in, is, which is involving the police. So the Ghana Police Service has arrested four persons in connection with an assault on a female at Kupilga in the Upper East region. In the video circulated on social media, some persons were seen subjecting her to inhumane and degrading treatment. In a tweet, the police indicated that the four suspects aged between the ages 19 and 38 were arrested in the early hours of today during an intelligence-led operation, while other suspects are being pursued. The Police added that arrangements had been made for a police clinical psychologist to provide the victim with psychosocial support. So that's on one side. Another side is that the second deputy speaker of parliament, which effectively means parliament, has tasked the Defence and Interior and Constitutional Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Committee of Parliament to institute a joint probe into the killing of five suspected land guards by the police. The member of the Member of Parliament for the area, Sylvester Tete, is the one who raised the issue on the floor of Parliament in relation to Thursday's killing of um, five persons by the anti-robbery and land guard operation team of the police in Botiano. The Member of Parliament is uh, Sylvester Tete, English Yaman from Botiano, English Yaman from Constituency. Join us on that. Honorable, you welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, my brother. So the police um, would be say would, would say they are fighting crime. They engaged with these people and uh, killed them. You are not satisfied. That's why you went to parliament. Tell us more why you you thought they needed to re- raise this issue on the floor of parliament. Well, thank you very much, and good evening to our listeners. Obviously, we are all enjoined by the constitution of this country to the police to fight crime. To the extent that citizens can make an arrest, crime being committed. Sly, the network is not that good. I, I don't know where you are, but if you could kindly do something about it, I'd be grateful. Yeah, can you hear me now? Better, thank Omar. you. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm saying that uh, we are not, we are supposed to support the police, and we've been doing that in Cyprus to fight crime to the best of our abilities. However, the police, in fighting crime, do so within the confines of the law. And they fight crime in an attempt to protect lives and property. Uh, killing is not part of the means of fighting crime. Uh, an incident occurred, and after two days, the police issued a formal statement 
to claim responsibility for that incident, the resident or the family of these uh, uh, deceased bodies have uh, since refuted the allegations of the police that their family members are involved in land guard and robbery activities in and around that place. They've offered further explanations and some people who supposed to be eyewitnesses have also had their own view of what happened, but they were witnesses to it. These are many more developments. I thought uh, as a member of parliament to bring it before parliament. And I had opportunity. I, I saw the figures need to raise the issue on the floor of parliament today. And uh, parliament subsequently thought that it is proper. I've actually requested parliament to institute a probe into the matter because the families of these five people hold a different view. The police has its own view on this matter. We also believe that the presumption of not guilty until proven guilty must always stand. And I don't know the circumstances under which the police will shoot five people to death uh, on a day, uh, broad daylight. And I think that uh, Parliament has what it takes to investigate this matter, to know uh, what exactly happened, and we can bring the matter to rest. I think Parliament is not after the police. We collaborate with the police to investigate this matter. So that once the parliamentary inquiry report is, is altered, everybody can return to it going forward. And that will also help in uh, reshaping or, as a matter of fact, uh, helping our security agencies to continue to protect lives and properties in this country. So I think that it's a civic responsibility that I've embarked on today. My right to do so. These are some of the tools available to me as a member of parliament that are so excited in support of my constituents. Very well. Thank you. We'll keep an eye on that. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Honorable Sylvester Tete. He's MP for Botiano Nglishi, our man from this eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. Up next, Netili Neti will be bringing us the latest in the world of business. And then we'll be having the City Business Festival, the On Air series. Tonight, the topic is navigating the tax maze as an SME. The guest is Ismail, Ismail Ibn Ibrahim. His deputy managing partner, Ali Nachia and Associates. That's uh, an interview Bernard Kokwavle conducted. Please stay tuned in. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News. Proudly brought to you by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netele Nete Ajaho. Let's settle for the details now. Economist Professor Godfrey Bobkin says, although the recent upgrade of the city is a good indicator of progress, the country's economic fortunes is still bleak, as Ghana still remains in the junk category. Moody's Investor Service upgraded the local currency long-term issuer rating to CAA3 from CA and maintained a stable outlook. Reacting to the news, Professor Godfrey Bobkin said it is crucial for government to pay all old bonds to boost investor confidence for ratings. The announcement of the domestic debt exchange is of triggered a downgrade. The idea is that now that we have completed that, then that tax would necessarily be removed. You cannot seek to restore confidence for the country at the international level when confidence is wounded in the domestic financial market and your domestic investors are unsure. So rating is in the right direction. But remember that we are still in a junk territory. So it's not as though we are out of the wood. No, we need to make a lot of progress in terms of paying down all outstanding old bonds. We need to restore confidence. We need to build forward better, sustainably, our capital market. That's the only way. Because other than that, government will continue to rely on treasury bill as the only means of interacting with the financial market. And the consequence of that is that the interest cost will begin to rise. And it will actually defeat the purpose of the domestic debt exchange. That sort to introduce a new yield curve, which is expected to be low, lower than what was operating under the old bonds. Professor Godfrey Bobkin is an economist. Some stakeholders within the business community in the Ashanti region are lamenting challenges they face in facilitating trade, especially through the Kumasi and Western corridors of the country. 
The group, which includes importers and exporters in the region, say they are irritated by the activities of some customs officers stationed at various checkpoints who are harassing their members within the region. Eddie Kusi Ankoma is the chairman of the Chamber of Automobile Leadership, Ghana, and he made a call at a stakeholder engagement aimed at addressing issues facing the business community in the Ashanti region. All businessmen, we report to him. And uh, when we assess, like people in Volta region, in Eastern region, in let's say the North and so forth, it's keenly here in Kumasi that you get this report. So it's too much on us. That is when they, are, when they clear their containers from the port, getting to Kumasi here, you have a lot of checkpoints. And at long last, they will accept your container, opening it again and offloading and so forth. So that is a big problem to all of them. And uh, we are appealing to the custom center commander here today that, in fact, what is going on is too much. But we realize that people are taking advantage of the green line and bringing things that are not declared on their manifest or on their, on their invoice or on the bill of lading. So now we are saying that if that is the truth, then you custom officers have the right to advise government that the green line is supposed to be, we have to even cancel it. There won't be any green line. Whosoever will bring this container is supposed to be submitted to proper checking. And if this is done, there won't be any hassling of people, custom officers chasing people and so forth. It's too much. Eddie Kusi Ankoma is the chairman of the Chamber of Automobile Dealership Ghana. The Ministry of Trade and Industry says an amount of 14 million Ghana cities has been disbursed to 48 companies under the One District One Factory Initiative through the Ghana Exim Bank. The One D1F program aims at assisting the private sector to establish at least one manufacturing enterprise in each of the 261 districts across the country. In March 2022, the ministry communicated to Parliament that 60 companies had been supported under the policy. But while answering questions on the floor of Parliament, the Minister of Trade and Industry, KT Hammond, rendered an apology for the earlier miscommunication. We got, this makes a total of 14 million four hundred and seven thousand eight hundred and eight cities three pence. Mr. Speaker, the ministry had in about March 2022 inadvertently stated to this house that indeed 60 IDF companies had been supported by Ghana Asian Bank. Mr. Speaker, a further appreciation of uh, the facts and analysis of the various companies and the uh, figures dispersed showed that it was not 60 but 48 companies. You heard the Minister of Trade and Industry, KT Hammond, and finally the Ghana Employees Association is advocating the establishment and sustainability of more green jobs for the teaming youth in the country. This, according to the association, will ensure the inefficient use of the country's energy resources and curb the menace of negatively impacting the climate. Director of Industrial Relations at the Ghana Employees Association, Joseph Amor, has been speaking to City Business News. The GE encourages the adoption of energy efficiency measures across all sectors. And it's important to know that the energy efficiency will not only reduce Ghana's greenhouse gas emission levels, but also improve the competitiveness of the industry, lower operational costs, and enhance our overall energy resilience. And we must therefore promote a culture of conservation innovation and continuous improvement to ensure a sustainable energy future for Ghana. We also need to create green jobs for our teaming youths. This gesture indicates resolve to contribute to the achievement of Goal 7 of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which seeks to achieve affordable and clean energy for all. That was the Director of Industrial Relations at the Ghana Employees Association, Joseph Amwa. And that's it for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was proudly brought to you by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajahu. Have a good evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.